Det er Adam og Stenus, er det gode Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Once again, it's time to um, pay attention. Yeah, because we are officially now turning into English podcast. Sorry yes. for all you Estonian listeners who have been along us uh, for the past uh, 150 episodes now. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, our campaign of making our visitors uh, learn Estonian not working so well. So uh, today we will be talking in English. And um, for some reason, Dorian and I, we cannot keep away from the topic of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> This is something uh, really close to our hearts. Yes. Would it be... If you are going to Latvia and speak about this alcohol, or we are speaking about other topic, which is craft beer and craft cider and craft everything. Yes, yes. So uh, today we will be um, discussing a um, running financial campaign. So as always, the warning that uh, uh, even though our guest is currently raising money, then of course make all of your investment decisions yourself. Uh, but uh, to talk about uh, fundraising and craft beer and business and summer and Estonia and craft beer, uh, we have uh, Ryan Suske with us today. Hello, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for so, having me. So, Ryan, uh, firstly, um, who are you and why are you in Estonia? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, um, uh, yeah, so um, I'm originally from California and uh, I have to admit that uh, I didn't have it in my plans to to be moving to Estonia, but um, I I, uh, I met a woman and we fell in love. And long story short is that um, she wanted to get back uh, closer to her her family and uh, friends and relatives, and wanted to move back to Estonia. So I've always been adventurous and um, decided to give it a go. So how long have you been in Estonia? So it's been a little bit over eight years now. Mm -hmm. So and you came to Estonia. You went to the supermarket, you looked at all the beers, and you were like, oh my god, this I is do? terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you decided to start a business. Is that how it went? It, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's generally what happened. It's, it wasn't so quick like that, but uh, I I was had the good fortune of, of coming to Estonia for my, my first time just a, a few days before midsummer. And so all of the like uh, crazy festiv festivities were happening and uh, lots of parties and all sorts of uh, meeting new people and they were excited to to, to meet um, their their friend's uh, husband for the first time so um, yeah I I met a lot of great people and uh, was a little bit shocked at the lack of beer selection so it was something that's like really uh, really foreign to me out of all the things that were like a culture shock that was one of the bigger ones I thought that uh, maybe in my head like Americans have the sense that Uh, Europe has like this great great beer tradition, and I came and I found like almost nothing here. So, what's the situation in the states uh, with craft beer? Do you have many of them around? Yeah, so there's I I, I believe there's a little bit over four thousand of them uh, in the U.S. Uh, but uh, from uh, in San Diego, there's a maybe an unusually high percentage of them. So uh, where I grew up in in like uh, you know the end of high school and these like you know early twenties period for me. Uh, we had uh, some very like amazing craft breweries, like Sierra Nevada was a, is a California brand, and you always had this in the in the supermarkets. They've been around for a long time. But uh, Stone Brewing was like our you know one of our local hometown breweries, and they're one of the biggest craft breweries in uh, in the U.S. They've recently built a a, a very nice brewery in Berlin. Um, but uh, lots of other small ones, including like um, really great brew pubs. So I had like a quite amazing brew pub that was uh, a couple blocks away from my apartment when I was in my early 20s. And I would go there and get uh, pizzas, watch sports on TV after work. And 
You know, you could sit there and you could you could actually see the uh, brewing equipment uh, behind the bar, and they had the serving tanks in the middle of the restaurant, and you know the brewers would walk out and they would like you could uh, chit chat with them about what was in the tanks and why they were making it, and so like, it was like a really like. Yeah, I, I kind of thought everybody had this experience, but uh, turns out that uh, that wasn't the case. So, so basically, uh, on your childhood, then uh, where every other child were like mowing the lawn, then you were brewing beer. No, not. I mean, I had I had did my fair share of uh, lawn mowing as well. But um, uh, yeah, where did this interest of uh, of uh, craft beer come came from? You. So uh, yeah, I guess it. It just kind of like was uh, just part of everything, like everyday life as like a 20-something in California. Um, you know, the sort of the routine after after high school days ended before like, you know, in college trying to figure out what you want to do was like, you know, you uh, you do, you have, a, you know, a part-time job. I was working at like, you know, coffee shops and places like this, a video rental store back when they still existed. Um, going to the beach, hanging out with friends, going to the, uh, to the, uh, to the taco shop going to a party in the evening everyone had like you know great craft beer so I just kind of thought that that was part of everyday life and then uh, I, I moved to to Florida for five years and then when I got there I was like okay not quite the same scene so uh, less craft beer um, in the in San Diego it was like even up to like 35% of the beer was was craft beer so like in the supermarket the entire aisle would be just filled with like uh, dozens of different types and like Uh, really like world-class ones. Um, but uh, in Florida, there was not quite as many. And I think like it, it's it's sort of like the the interest in like premium food products, because that's really what craft beer is, wasn't really there so much. It was more like this typical American fast food culture. And mm -hmm. so less options, but, but still there. And mm -hmm. then when I came to Estonia, it was like completely gone. And I thought, oh, you know what? This, this really looks like some of the places in the U.S., 15, 20 years ago, as far as the, as far as the beer scene and like the way that, uh, the food was really like, uh, changing over the last eight years or so here, like, uh, the number of like really high quality restaurants with our offering food that's outside of the normal traditional Estonian fare was like becoming a lot more common and people were moving towards like more premium products in general with food. And, you know, if you're going to go and, you know, enjoy like a, super premium hamburger or like a really great salad or whatever it is, you know, fresh fruit, all these different types of foods. Like you don't want to pair it with a, like a, a really boring cheap beer. And so. But your background is not in food technology no. or anything no. of the sort. You are actually, uh, as we talked just before the show, you work in technology. Yeah, I do work in technology. My background is in uh, in finance. So uh, I, I, I studied in a university. I, I, I went to school for many years thinking about what I wanted to do. I ended up getting a, a bachelor's of science degree in economics, a, a minor in applied mathematics, and a bachelor's of business in finance. And um, yeah, I, I had always been interested in entrepreneurship, so my family is like, they're, they're entrepreneurs, so uh, since I was like a, a small child, actually I guess the only job my mom, I've ever known my mom to have was uh, to be an entrepreneur. She had an interior design firm, so I saw her with her like uh, business partners and like how that worked, and it was always like intriguing, and then my dad was in the um, electronics industry, and there's like, a very large uh, like, uh, defense industry in, in San Diego. And uh, at some point, that uh, industry moved out of, uh, of uh, definitely out of California and also large parts out of the U.S. And so that that created like a you know an opening for them to like to think okay do we make a career change at you know 
mid like almost 50 or do do something different and uh, we decided to or they decided to open up a uh, a coffee shop so i've always been around like small businesses and all, almost all of my uh, my friends parents when i was growing up they were either like uh, you know an executive a like an advanced engineer a computer scientist or a, a business owner so i just i guess it was just kind of in my in my blood and that's what i knew and then uh, yeah i mm-hmm. i i i took the the finance part and uh, Mm-hmm. Turned it into like a. Hey, okay, so a side we have business. we have three things: your mm. uh, entrepreneurial spirit, mm. uh, interest in high quality and and craft food, and you come to Estonia and and you look at the sad selection on the shelves, and how does how do you go from that moment to uh, founding Tanker yeah, as a business? Yeah, so uh, the. The the environment for for craft beer was really like uh, ripe for these businesses to start. Um, I uh, had the ability to, to start brewing in my garage. So when I when I first moved to Estonia, we were living in a in a small apartment, and then um, we uh, my wife and I started to build up a family. So we have uh, two kids, and we decided okay, we need some more space. So uh, moved moved outside the city into like you know the suburbs and had uh, a little more space so I could have some other hobbies and then of course when you have small children you're kind of tied to the house for some time so brewing is actually a really good hobby to pick up if you have like uh, small kids around the house because you spend eight hours in your garage and you don't go anywhere so um, you, you can still like uh, tend to the family and be engaged with them because there's you know you're doing things you have to, you have to monitor it but it, it's a lot like cooking so if you if you spend all day cooking you can still like interact with uh, with your family so uh, and I've, I've always been like a, a fan of cooking as well so Yeah, basically the opportunity to to start brewing, uh, and sort of try to create those flavors that I had remembered from like uh, my you know early child or early adult age. Um, yeah, and then uh, we started making uh, making beers and then uh, filling them in uh, in bottles by hand in the kitchen. And um, of course, all the uh, all the friends got really excited. <laughs> Everyone wanted to come over and have parties, and then so. Uh, I guess I guess with all hobbies, people say like, "Oh, this is great! You should turn it into a business." And, but um, yeah, sort of enough people said that, and then uh, I was going around to um, different to to this club. So there's a there's a homebrewers club in Estonia. It's pretty active and like a nice group of uh, group of guys. And um, I met some other people that were also like of the same mind and uh, flavors. And so we got together, and then the the three of us decided that we should go for this. Uh, at the time, it was. Uh, Just around, just before, I guess, uh, when Lehe had Lehe and Olaf were just starting up or had just opened, and uh, it seemed that it was like a, a very good time to get going. And uh, okay. yeah, we're always adventurous. So you you were the fr- basically the first one on the market. There were some other companies also, but the market itself uh, there, there wasn't any market. How easy or hard was it uh, to set up Tanker? I mean, legally, and uh, you had to buy all this equipment. Did you know what yeah. you need to buy? And uh, how did you get uh, along with uh, with the uh, Estonian state itself as, uh-huh, yeah. as uh, filling the documents needed? So this wasn't that difficult. So the the uh, the, the craft beer as an industry, it's uh, pretty friendly. So um, the the other companies that were also going through the same process, um, we were having like pretty open discussions about okay. What sort of like uh, control policies do you need? How do you get the permission from the uh, tax authorities, etc.? So, were there any uh, were there any hassles also re- related with uh, setting up the company? 
No, it was very easy. I would say that, uh, yeah, in that sense, so, Estonia so lives up to its uh, uh, reputation. Hype. Yeah, yeah, it's very. It was very easy to do. Okay, and your location at the moment is uh, where? We are in uh, in Vida. It's um, approximately twenty kilometers uh, outside of Tallinn, towards Tartu. Is there any reason why you're in Vida? So uh, we. Uh, uh, myself and uh, my business partner were living in in Petri, and uh, we were brewing with water from uh, from Rivald, and we wanted we knew that the the water that comes from the uh, municipal source in Tallinn is has more flavors to it than the water outside. <laughs> I guess is the best way to say this. Um, uh, but if you go into uh, into Rai with the El Vesos, the municipality that's supplying the water, the water is coming from uh, underground, uh, like aquifers, instead of the uh, the lake by the airport. So the water tends to be more stable and more clean. Um, and then also it comes down to this, uh, you know, price per square meter. Uh, situation that if you in the city it's a lot more expensive if you go outside it's uh, there's a lot more like logistics parks so currently we're we are in uh, in Vida we are building a new facility in uh, Yuri at the moment so we will be um, closer to Tallinn uh, for uh, employees to get there easier and also easier for uh, visitors to come and check it out but still on the same uh, same water supply mm-hmm. So to give um, the investors uh, a clue, so you started in your garage. I don't know how, how much beer can one uh, brew in a garage? How many bottles or liters, or yeah. how, how big was the garage? So, but yeah, I guess the, the garage is like 18 square meters or something. But um, the, we were brewing. Uh, I was brewing a uh, 20 to 50 liter batches, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, it takes about uh, a month to. It takes one, one day to to prepare the malts and to do the actual brewing and and then put it to the fermenter and then it's it stays in the fermenter for approximately a month, mm-hmm. and then um, we were bottle conditioning the beers, meaning that we weren't uh, we weren't adding carbon dioxide uh, like uh, with a tank. So mm-hmm. this also create added like another two weeks to the the process. So after it was packaged, you had to wait like roughly two weeks for it to be properly conditioned um, but really it depends on how many uh, fermenters you want to, to keep in your garage and so they're not very big and um, uh, you know we didn't we don't have um, uh, air conditioning in the house so it's very important to monitor the temperatures of the fermenting beer so I was always like walking around with a thermometer and figuring out where's like the ideal temperature to put the to put the beer inside the house so I would carry them up and down the stairs and put them in the corner and yeah so Dif- different stages of the process uh, have um, different uh, temperatures and also different yeast strains have uh, different temperatures that they work best at. So, um, yeah, uh, you can produce quite a bit, but it's, uh, it's a lot of work for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that you are uh, working in your own factory, then how much is uh, Tankar producing per year, per yeah. month? So we started off with a uh, 1,000 liter batch size and then uh, in eight tanks that were also 1,000 liters. So um, basically we could do uh, 8,000 in, uh, in a month. Um, we quickly realized that that wasn't enough beer. When we got it, we thought, okay, this is actually too much. We how are we possibly going to sell all this? Like it's it seemed it seemed like an impossible task, but uh, it happened a lot easier than we had expected. 
So then we got a 2,000 liter kettle and also a 2,000 liter tank. So this uh, allowed us to make uh, 2,000 liters per batch, but that's only on some beers. So um, the way that brewing works is that you're mixing uh, grain and water to make a, a sugary substance called wort. And the amount of sugars that you have in that wort determines the uh, strength of the beer. So the stronger the beer, the more grain you need to put to get the correct amount of sugars. So we were capped at how much uh, grain we could put into this uh, system. So... Uh, if we were making a beer that was um, moderately strong or, or yeah, so anything over like 6% really uh, would require more than one mash. Um, so that would make it uh, mean that you couldn't actually make 2000 liters of every beer in, in each day. And, and now we have also added a uh, 4,000 liter tanks. So for our, our beers like um, sauna session that are one of our best sellers, then we, uh, we do two of those brews back to back and then we double fill one uh, one four thousand liter fermenter, so um, depending on the uh, the type of beer and the month, we are doing like sixteen to twenty thousand liters uh, in a month. Mm. How many uh, different uh, brands or or labels? So we've we've done more than seventy, which mm -hmm. is like a really crazy number if I think about that. Um, but uh, we are keeping. Uh, something like 10 in uh, regular production. So uh, it, it's, it's always been a balance for us. Like we're, we like to experiment. We think that we can always uh, make something uh, better than before. So um, we like to, to tune recipes and to try, try new things. Uh, but we have to balance that with uh, what some of the uh, bigger customers are, are asking for. So supermarkets, uh, which we are in a lot of them, they, they would like a, a fixed uh, product line and they would like to have uh, uh, supply commitments where like, if, if they order and you don't deliver, they'll give you a fine. Um, and then also uh, some of the larger restaurant chains, they have like printed menus and uh, they have to train their wait staff on how to the, how the beer, how all the food and all the drinks taste and how, what goes well together. So if you're mixing that up with them all the time, it's uh, they have to print new menus and train new staff. And so we have to balance these two things. And uh, at the moment, uh, we have been struggling to keep up production on the core beers, so we haven't been able to make so many uh, new ones. Uh, so if any of the listeners are uh, you know, craft beer fans and have been drinking our beer for some time, they will recognize that we've made a lot less new beers in the last uh, year and a half than, than previously. And that's mainly because we've been expanding to more of those uh, supermarket chains where we have to be very sure that we have enough uh, in stock. I think this issue can be all also solved by by adding a new product to your line, which is called Tanker Surprise. <laughs> so you will add your own uh, own beers to that yeah. uh, mix, and all all the pubs, all the supermarkets yeah. will get it. But uh, how many selling points or supermarkets or pubs or restaurants or mm. or uh, locations do you have? So in between Estonia and Finland, we're around five hundred supermarkets. Oh. Uh, so yeah, basically all of the major supermarkets, they don't all have the full selection, but, uh, so like in, inside of the bigger cities, we, they have more of the, uh, the, the main selection than the smaller ones. But even like, uh, if you go to a, a smaller, smaller village in, uh, you know, South Estonia, you can find tanker beer. 500, this is like enormous, uh, to me, if I'm looking at the perspective of, uh, potential investor into tanker, because, uh, to how many can you expand yourself? To? Yeah. So, um, the, 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 the Craft beer market in Estonia is a very small percent of total beer sales. So uh, it's less than 2%. Mm. 
mm-hmm. at the moment. And that number, like if we if we go back two years ago, it was like two tenths of a percent. So the craft beer is uh, as a percent is is increasing. So there's a there is a really big opportunity for 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 craft breweries to uh, to gain to gain market share in Estonia. And uh, Finland is our largest export market, and it's like four and a half times bigger as far as a uh, beer market than Estonia is. I think the competition in Finland is also um, uh, much fiercer than, for example, in Latvia, Lithuania. What do you think about Latvia, Lithuania? Actually, uh, I wouldn't say that the competition is more fiercer. So the uh, the, the beer market is totally different in uh, Finland versus Latvia and Lithuania. Latvia and Lithuania has they have a lot of uh, small breweries, so they're like uh, regional, like you know, neighborhood breweries. Mm-hmm. Many of them are producing very traditional style of beers, so they they don't go into like this pale ale IPAs, sour beers, and stuff. They're, they're mostly making like a light, a dark, and a honey, and they've been doing this for a long time. And also, the the, the selling price in Latvia and Lithuania is really low. So um, we've had a lot of discuss. We've, we've done some collaborations with the Latvian and Lithuanian breweries. So a collaboration is like when we go to another craft brewery, or they come to us and we like put our heads together and come up with a new beer. And uh, they sort of describe this to us like, God, you know, we wish that we had this like home market like Estonia because it's so difficult for them. Because if you want to sell like a very like, I mean, let's be honest, like our craft beer is is fairly expensive. So in uh, in Latvia and Lithuania, it's like a little bit difficult to get in because the uh, Customers are not willing to pay a premium for for craft beer, but in Finland, everyone is used to spending seven, eight euros, nine euros for a beer. So the the question of price almost never comes up in Finland. What about uh, Swedish market? Swedish is a very good market, I would say. So U.S. craft beer, uh, their two biggest. Uh, if if we look at the the craft beer export markets from from US the first market is Canada because it's close and the second one is is Sweden so you can get craft beer in not every restaurant but quite a few you can find them in uh, supermarkets they have a a very um, very good selection of craft beer in their uh, in their monopoly system below it and uh, a lot of the the chains the the bars have uh, and restaurants have craft beer so this is a this is a an exceptionally good market, and also it goes back to this pricing issue. So, uh, a very large portion of your money that you spend when you go out for entertainment in Sweden goes to the overhead and labor cost. Uh, so, the uh, the difference in between a like um, a craft beer and a regular lager is uh, not not very big of a difference. So, if you're, you're talking like okay, it's maybe one euro difference. Uh, f- so, if it's like seven euros for a um, uh, a regular lager and eight for a craft beer. Okay, it's like one extra. You're, it's already expensive, so it's not like the you know some places in Estonia it can be like almost double for a craft beer. So the market in Sweden is more supportive for craft beer, basically, you could say. For sure, mm-hmm. and I, it's. I think part of it is that uh, they have like a long history of like um, uh, of uh, long long food tradition. So like they've been like uh, generally they've been making, uh, having lots of restaurants and like uh, going for very high quality products. Um, and uh, yeah, so the well, income um, levels are higher as well. I think Estonia has had generations and generations who have had very horrible homemade beer looking at our <laughs> yeah, yeah. history of our beer culture. But uh, you, you mentioned the price issue and in Estonia, the price of craft beer it is generally twice or three times as expensive. So, so it's a bit of an issue. My question is... Um, 
who is your client mm. when you imagine your client profile? Uh, because I kind of uh, have the feeling that a craft beer client is more likely to have higher income. Probably. Uh, so uh, generally speaking, craft beer for, for us, and I guess for the other breweries as well, it's like uh, 25 to 45 year old men are a majority of the sales. Um, if you, yeah, so Estonia has like this weird income distribution. So in the younger generation, they earn like uh, several multiples of the older generation. Um, I think this is also why it's driving like uh, an increase in premium products when it comes to basically just about everything, but uh, also in, in like lifestyle type activities. And craft beer is like a, it's a cheap luxury. So compared to like wine or cognac or whatever, it then craft beer is pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, getting to your uh, client, um, I mean, whenever you turn on the TV, then you see all these mainstream uh, beer brands with their ads, which tend to be quite uh, terrible. Uh, how do you market a craft beer? Because you don't have campaigns on the street like come buy our beer. Yeah, so we've never done any like traditional marketing. So the our marketing budget basically goes into signs that we're taking to uh, beer festivals, and, but that's that's really been the way that we've been doing this. So, like, uh, we're we're all passionate about uh, about our product, about uh, about telling the story about the beer, about getting involved with people. So, we we believe that craft beer is about uh, people coming together. It's about community, about sitting around, telling stories, having a good time. So, that's how we do our marketing. So, we go out to all of these different. Uh, concerts we like uh, we have uh, days where we open up our doors and we invite people in to do tours of our brewery we go to all the different you know uh, festivals that happen around uh, summertime we go to the um, the the villages outside of Tallinn and um, uh, we we bring our beer we uh, we tell stories about what it is why it tastes like that we give uh, samples and explain like what the flavor that they're experiencing it why is it there you know you know what's the purpose of it and uh, that's how we do our marketing so grassroots basically you have a party all around the time yeah 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 basically yeah <laughs> okay. um uh, my question being um uh, the term craft beer um mm. uh, if you've read then in have forums there's a discussion thread about uh, tanker as well and um there was uh, quite a heated debate about um what exactly the term craft beer means in the sense of uh, it, it hints at being uh, handmade and with extra heart and whatnot. Mm. At the same time, you are already in 500 supermarkets and making tens of thousands of liters of beer mm. per month. Mm. So w- where, where is kind of the limit between craft beer and and mainstream? It's a good question. So um, in the US, there's, an, uh, there's a craft beer uh, like guild or organization called the Brewers Association, and they have a formal definition for what craft beer is. And it has to do with the, uh, the size of production. It has to do with the uh, independence of the company. And it has to do with the method of producing the beer. So yes, I can, I can understand like in Estonian, like the word actually says like, handcrafted, uh, but uh, the, the whole idea is that um, the difference between a craft beer and a industrial beer, if we, if we take the, uh, the, the method first, I think that's like a very important one, is that uh, the, the large industrial brewers, they are making a, par- a product that is designed to be as cheap as possible. We are making a product that's designed to be as uh, flavorful as possible. So it's like a fundamental different goal. 
Now, when uh, they are producing beer, they will make a uh, they make many batches of the same beer. They brew it as strong as possible, and then they dilute it with water to get the desired alcohol content. It's a, it's a process called high gravity brewing. So when when if you if you take a uh, I, I won't call out any brand names, but if you take a a mass produced industrial beer, then if you if you detect that it, it tastes like water, there's a very good reason for that because it's like nearly half of it is water. Uh, the other thing that they're doing is they're using ingredients that are designed to be cheap and to be flavorless. So malted barley is not the cheapest product you can brew with. So they use things like uh, corn and rice. They don't have any, they don't contribute any flavors to the beer. They're very light and they're also cheap. So they're using these products to substitute malted barley, uh, which um, helps them on the production costs, but doesn't really give any flavor to the beer. And uh, they produce such huge quantities, and then they will do like a very in-depth sensory analysis on each one of them, and then they blend them together to uh, mask defects in inside of them. So if you have one, so like there's no such thing as like uh, zero flaws in anything, but there's always like a, a threshold that is uh, no longer detectable. And so that they're blending them together and then diluting with water so you can't taste like a off flavor. Uh, so this is a very common practice. Uh, all the industrial brewers are doing this. Um, and they're doing that because they're in like a commoditized business where they're competing on price and people will switch if it's 10 cents cheaper. So um, craft beer is like the antithesis of that. So we are trying to make a product that is as flavorful and honest as possible. So we're using all like traditional ingredients, meaning that uh, we stick with this um, uh, base ingredients of, uh, of uh, malt, hops, yeast, and water. Of course, we are doing uh, some some things to add like extra ingredients, like we're, we famously use birch leaves in our beer. So this is not one of the traditional uh, brewing ingredients, but it definitely doesn't uh, contribute to like less flavor. It's designed to like really stand out. So uh, we are always brewing with um, like uh, you know these uh, whole ingredients. Uh, in like a natural process, we brew and we ferment the same volume that we are packaging. So we don't do any like uh, this, you know, blending them together, adding water to, to dilute it, to increase output. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that that's like the main point when it comes to this uh, traditional part. The other part is about being independent. So um, if, a, if a brewery takes money from one of these big breweries, uh, because of like the the difference in the in the in the in the uh, in the value of the companies, those those big industrial firms have the power to tell those like small brewers that they've acquired that you must do this. And uh, so, if the, the 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 way that it's capped is if you have an ownership of thirty five percent or more from one of the industrial brewing companies, you are no longer qualified as craft. Even if like you claim to stick to the uh, traditional part, they. They say that, okay, actually, you are not no longer independent. So this is like a very big uh, part of it. And then the other one is size, which uh, uh, when it comes to us, we are still like incredibly small uh, from uh, craft beer standards. So there are breweries like uh, like Sierra Nevada, like uh, like Stone, that like uh, BrewDog that are producing like, yeah, hundreds of millions of liters. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, since I, I'll just kind of jump in because we just got to the discussing the strength of the beer, mm. and uh, my question was because uh, before the show, Tari and I were discussing um, uh, when Dunker is going to start producing an alcohol-free uh, beer. But my yeah. uh, but the second question to this is uh, when you look at the listing of craft beers, then it's quite common for them to be significantly higher in alcohol content than uh, uh, the mainstream beer that you get in supermarkets. Mm. Quite often they go seven, eight. Uh, I'm looking at your product list right now. Love will tear us apart. Is at eleven uh, percent. So, yeah. uh, what? Why is this the case? But I, I, I think that yes, there is a trend for a trend for like very high strength beers. But uh, if you were to look at the the portfolio of beers that Tanker has. We have a very large number of them that are less than 6%. Uh, so Love Will Tear Us Apart was a collab- collaboration beer. So we made one batch of it. We'll never make it again. Um, so uh, our our best-selling beer is Sauna Session. It's 4.7. Uh, Reloaded is 5.5. We have Cloud Computing, which is 5.5. We have uh, Pale, uh, Craft FM, which is uh, 3.5. Uh, so we, you know... Beer should be about, uh, you know, getting together, telling stories, enjoying it. It's not like, uh, you know, have a few sips and then put it away, like, uh, you know, a brandy or something like this. So uh, I think that our products are more skewed towards the lighter, pale, uh, flavorful, like refreshing style of beers. So uh, we don't do many beers that are more than 6%. Uh, and uh, we are also have been working on uh, some non-alcoholic products as well. Still, nevertheless, uh, if, uh, if you speak about uh, the taste itself, hmm? to me it feels that uh, craft beer is much more intense than the regular one. Definitely. Uh, that means uh, when I, uh, close to two weeks ago, uh, bought four beers, hmm? and I thought that uh, it's going to be an awesome sauna session for me, and I'm going to oh. enjoy all four beers, then uh, I had to stop uh, just after two of them, because they were so intense. And yes, one thing is price. Uh, craft beer is much uh, in, in in much higher price range than regular beer is, but on the other hand, I can see that it will be compensated by the intense taste mm-hmm. and uh, flavors which you get out of uh, the craft beer, meaning that actually this is not that uh, much uh, ex- more expensive than the regular one. So I would say that uh, m- maybe this this thesis or or hypothesis that uh, you will get uh, 3.5% beer and uh, take them uh, six of them, maybe, maybe, maybe eight, well, let's do a trick a lot. Oh. And uh, you, you pour them in into yourself uh, with one night, I think this is uh, maybe a bit hard, at least for me, over two I, oh. I can't get oh. myself. That's a good thing then, uh, so it, it helps for the moderation as well. So, so the health issue in Estonia, which is uh, very prominent at the moment, uh, oh. will be solved by, by uh, selling more craft beers, meaning that I know you have uh, some issues uh, regarding the excise duties, the levels, yeah. uh, comparing to the bigger players like Alekok and Saku that uh, you want to uh, get it lower rate or, or something the quantity bigger or, or we, we we pay half the excise rate mm-hmm. uh, uh, and we would like for the um, the uh, maximum allowable amount that we produce to be raised okay how much yeah, I believe it's 600,000 liters per year at the moment. Okay, um, and two, you want to raise it? It's not just us. So we, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a, a union of small breweries, mm-hmm. and uh, the union is, this is one of their like, uh, main policy objectives is to raise that uh, limit. So we are not the biggest uh, craft beer producer 
in Estonia. So there's others that are really pushing hard for this as well. Okay, now I'm uh, thinking that on a political sense. Um, mm. Would it be smarter for me if I'm a politician to raise uh, the excise duty to the same level as the regular producers are getting or am I getting enough from the value-added tax that uh, will, will be added if I'm selling more and more? Because uh, what I'm thinking at the moment is that if I am not able to drink more than two beers, which means my health is uh, a bit better, I hope, then uh, still uh, the product itself is uh, a bit, uh, costs more a bit. Does it uh, put any uh, extra revenue to the uh, budget, yeah. I mean, uh, to the Estonian country or, or not? What well, do you think it, about this? this uh, alcohol, excise tax, it's a sin tax, right? I mean, it's, it's designed to, to encourage behaviors that the, the state would like. Well, does it? Uh, I would say that if you were to uh, raise the tax on, uh, on craft beer, then that would mean that the price of the craft beer would go up a little bit more, and then maybe they would switch back to this beers that you can drink several sessions of them in, or multi mm -hmm. like a lot more quantity. So it probably wouldn't be very good from a uh, health perspective. Well, uh, if you compare the excise uh, taxes in Estonia and in Latvia, then uh, our politicians did it uh, in Estonia, they raised uh, excise taxes uh, really much. Mm. It was like uh, plus 68% or something like mm. that. It was like enormous. And uh, people didn't start to drink less, but they just, uh, they just went to Latvia. Yeah, which you know, sort of backfired, I would say. Uh, definitely. Mm. Um, we talked a bit at the beginning about uh, the market share of, of craft beer, that in a sense you are kind of... Um, teaching people to be your clients that uh, they get their first kind of meeting with craft beer so they know to look for it and to try for it and whatnot. Um, and since the market share is currently so small, um, as I understand, Estonia actually has quite a lot of tiny craft beer breweries. Yes. That there are a few that are big, but there's a lot of very, very tiny ones. So what would it take for them there to be like a true explosion of craft beer? Because I don't think it's the lack of selection because there truly is a lot of different beers to choose from. So, so what's kind of mm. the missing moment there for us to have uh, craft beer have like a 15% market share compared to the 2%. Yeah, I think that uh, we are we are on track for that to happen. Uh, it's going to take a few years for sure. But um, the, uh, the more that we have this like a uh, younger generation that is wanting to have like uh, premium food, premium, uh, premium drinks, the more that they uh, the more that they earn as they develop families and uh, spend more time uh, around the house, then they'll probably consume more craft beer. Like uh, generally, like people that are like younger, they tend to go out to like parties and have like maybe like a different type of alcohol consumption profile than like uh, middle-aged people. So, um, the, so as the as as the youth, because they become like uh, more middle-aged, like like myself, and having uh, small families, then I think that that will that will help as well. But uh, it's at the point where craft beer is already like, it's not a niche product anymore. It's uh, it's already like um, sufficiently mainstream where if you say like, oh, have you had an IPA? People like, well, what's an IPA? Like maybe a couple of years ago, a lot of people would not know what you're talking about. And so it's already known and people have, many people have, have either like, uh, most people have tried it. Um, but uh, it's just one of those things that um, it grows on people. If you piggyback on Christie's question, then uh, how many flavors can you develop on uh, craft beer? I mean, uh, there are several, several uh, small breweries. Oh. They all have to somewhat, somewhat distinguish them themselves from uh, other competitors. Mm -hmm. 
how many flavors can they develop? How many nice restaurants can you put on one street? Uh, so yeah. like each each chef, I mean, ever all all chefs are limited by the by a finite number of ingredients. But the way that you prepare those and the way that you treat them and like the your your take on the on on these food perspectives can really like the there's really no limit on to what the flavors you can make. Okay, that's true, but uh, at least not in Estonia. We don't have uh, two, three, four Asian restaurants uh, next to each other. Yeah, okay, but this is mainly due towards uh, population, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, we, we, you can't have so many restaurants because there's a, a certain number of people that are willing to go to, yeah, to a restaurant. True. That's, yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. Okay, but... We've uh, talked about uh, beer very enthusiastically, mm. and now it's time to talk about money. Yes. Also very enthusiastic. Where, where does it come from? <laughs> where does it come from? Money. Where does it come from? And where does it go? Uh, so you are currently raising capital through um, Thunderbeam. Thunderbeam, mm. and uh, your initial target was four hundred something thousand, and now you dropped it to two fifty. Uh, when the show is airing, the current market interest by people is something like 330,000 euros. So uh, if you're doing so well, then why do you need money? What are you going to do with it? So yeah, uh, brewing is a capital intensive business. So um, uh, you need a lot of uh, equipment. Equipment is expensive and uh, the growth of, that we have as far as our sales is um, exceeds our ability to, to fund it by ourselves. So when we got started, it was it was a you know, a, a dream and like a, a side project that we put our retirement into and uh, it turned out to go quite well. And so it turned into like a, a full-time endeavor for many of us. And uh, at that point we had to decide, okay, how do we expand? So we, we did go to a, you know, a traditional, you know, banking institution to acquire some, uh, some debt, uh, you know, roughly a hundred thousand euros. Uh, we paid it off. Uh, we also had some investment, some some loans from some uh, friends. Uh, paid those off, um, but uh, we decided that okay, if we want to take this to uh, the to like the the business that we see that this can really be and to be uh, efficient and profitable on like a on a reasonable scale, that we need to invest like an order of magnitude uh, different amount of money, and so we just didn't have that type of cash in our pockets from you know uh, retirement funds and. Um, the business grows, but it's always, you know, it's, it, our current brew house requires a lot of uh, work. So you, we can't really like uh, double or triple production off the current space. So uh, it's not possible to generate enough uh, cash from the business in uh, two, three years of a startup to, to fund a, a million euro project. So uh, we, um, we put this together through a couple different pieces. So we have a, a grant from uh, Priya, a governmental organization for, 320,000 euros. Uh, we have a bank loan for uh, a little bit less than half a million. And then we have uh, this crowdfunding campaign ongoing. So between these three pieces, it's uh, why we needed to, to build the new brewery to, to be able to sustain our, our growth and uh, keep us going. Uh, BrewDog uh, has been really successful attracting uh, crowd capital, basically. Yes. Why did you choose uh, crowdfunding? Yeah, so of course, um, Brewdog is a is a is an amazing success story as far as far as a a brewery, as far as like changing the way that the beer is perceived in the UK. I think they were actually like a a, a pretty big driver in this craft beer revolution there. Um, so they're like a, they're changing a, you know 
they're they're dominant for their industry. They're changing the way people work, and also like yeah, it was a very very creative way to raise money, and they've done it I think five times now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the good thing about uh, this type of campaign with uh, that we are doing on, on Thunderbeam is that it allows us to you know I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about about beer if uh, if we weren't doing this. So this we we are a small business. We don't invest money in uh, marketing really. So this is a, a chance for us to to do two things at once. I can go out. I can uh, tell a story like why we're doing this, why we why we're making beer, why you should try it, uh, why we think it's a, a good a good investment, and uh, it's it's a way for us to raise money and also to talk about our product. Okay. Uh, how much revenue did you do on uh, financial year 2017? Do you remember? It was uh, 511,000. Okay, and uh, your growth has been significant. I can see that the uh, year before it was uh, 334,000 euros. And uh, one year prior to that, uh, 130,000 euros. Hmm. So you're increasingly, in, you're increasing a very rapid pace. Uh, what is the market uh, growth at the moment? Are so, you exceeding it or...? Uh, we are at a point where we are a, at a production capacity, so uh, a limit. So we are not; po- it's not really possible for us to uh, expand as fast as our uh, sales would potentially allow us, and not grow as fast as the uh, the market. So, but between 27 and 2018, we think we were only going to do an extra like maybe 80,000 euros for, mm-hmm. uh, in net sales, and that's because we are uh, we are we are packed uh, as far as uh, production. And uh, we have also been putting in uh, efforts to build the, the new brewery. But when we do that, then uh, we will be able to continue the same uh, same uh, growth rate of sales that we had before. Mm-hmm. So I understand the brewery is already under construction. So yeah. when will it be finished? Uh, so the uh, foundation was laid earlier this uh, summer. The the posts for the the ceiling support are are in now. Um, the, brew- the brewing equipment itself, so actually, I don't know if you know, but it takes like uh, about a year to order brewing equipment. So um, it was two years ago that we were in uh, Germany at this, like the major trade show uh, for brewing equipment and going meeting with all the suppliers, talking about what sort of requirements we had. And so it was like a, a year and a half process to order this equipment and um, it will be delivered, uh, it'll be shipped to us in the first week of December. So... Uh, yeah, we're like at the final third of this project, and uh, it's it's been a, a long, a fairly exhausting process, but really a really great experience because we had the opportunity to, to design the brewing equipment exactly to our process, and we have like some weird requirements with the quantity of hops that we're putting in. We put them in at uh, different stages that uh, some other brewers are not doing, so we need a special type of vessel for that. We have to have a special vessel for how we handle our uh, leaves for the uh, birch trees. Um, and then uh, we got to design exactly where all the walls and drains and everything goes in the new building. So we have like a really a, a custom designed uh, brewery from scratch that's going to be uh, moving in the equipment in December and uh, should be fully operational by last week of January. So, so what I'm getting from this is once you are finished... Uh, with this construction and moved in, you'll go there, you'll have this moment of panic, like, oh my God, we're never going to make this much beer. And then a year later, you're like, oh, damn, we need new, bigger space uh, (laughs) with more and bigger equipment. And then since it takes so long to order, then you already need to get started on uh, building the uh, next brewery. So the thing is, um, if we were to build a brewery after this one, it's going to be 10 times bigger. Um, so the, the new brew house, it's, uh, the same batch size, but the key difference is that 
many of the things are automated, so we can do multiple batches in a day. Uh, we also have this, the ability to add an extra wort kettle, which will cut the uh, brewing time in half, so we could brew twice as many beers in a day. So um, uh, we will be able, the, the building has uh, high ceilings, and we have uh, um, twice as many square meters as uh, we currently have, plus it will be configured in a much more efficient way. So uh, we should be able to go up to like uh, almost 2 million liters inside that uh, building without having any major issues. And then there's also a uh, uh, the, 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 the house next door or it, on the other side of the wall. Uh, there it will currently be a, a company in there, but... Um, you will kick them out if, uh, if you're growing beer. In a few years, this is this is something that, of course, you know the we haven't like the landlord is not writing it to us that we can kick them out. But uh, this is <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, this uh, is usually what happens. Uh, I can see from uh, from the comparison of Estonian uh, breweries that Pohjala is the biggest. Uh, they are already generating about two million euros uh, of sales. Uh, yeah. But the next company is. Uh, which is around uh, 500, 600,000 euros, you are also on the range. Mm. Does it mean that uh, all of these companies, uh, except Pohjala, who is also building at the moment uh, their new facility yeah. with, uh, with tap room and everything, mm. uh, does it mean the other companies are facing the same issue or you are currently facing that uh, the production area is too limited and uh, you don't, they don't have the money to grow bigger? Mm. If, you, if you dig into the uh, reports from the competitors, so like... Uh, Lehe and Olanot have been uh, declining slightly in sales. Mm -hmm. uh, Pohila has been uh, killing it as far as uh, their business. If you look at what we have, we, Pohila is like one year ahead of us uh, as the uh, age of the company. Okay. And so uh, if you were to look at uh, Pohila's last year's and ours this year results, they match up. And if you go back one year, they're, we are following the same trajectory, trajectory just uh, one year behind. Um, they have been focused on exports uh, from the start. Um, uh, Lehe and uh, Olenot were not so much focused on exports from the start, I believe. Uh, also, I think like their their style of beers that they have made has changed quite a bit, Lehe and Olenot, over the years. But um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, since uh, we're we're slowly running out of time, then. Um um, we, we know we can't ask you for, well, we can ask you for all sorts of things, but we know that you're not allowed to answer if we ask for you, like, how much revenue and profit you'll do next year. Uh, but uh, if a person was listening to the show right now, maybe they've had a tanker beer at some point in the past, and uh, they're thinking, hmm... Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced if I should look into this a bit more. So I, I'm sure you've practiced this mm. endlessly. What, what is your <laughs> elevator pitch mm. for a person who is thinking like, ah, oh, maybe I should look into this a bit further. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, as far as a, a company, I think that uh, we have the right uh, mix of people and like the, the determination and the commitment to, to see it through to the end. So I think, you know, a really big part of that is like, you know, trusting like the people do they really understand what they're doing or are they in this uh, for the long run um, one of the reasons that we wanted to do the um, uh, crowdfunding campaign is because it, it allows us to, to talk to a lot more people and to get our brand known and uh, it would be great for us if we can also you know share that uh, success of the company with the uh, people in the community so um, yeah, it's it's better than giving it to like uh, okay. There are there are some like small local financial institutions, but you know, craft beer is about uh, community and like independence. So it's better to like have the people that are 
part of the community to also benefit with the with the success of the brewery. So, uh, yeah, we think that uh, the situation for for craft beer in uh, in the Baltics and Nordic region and also Europe in general is uh, still like quite a good opportunity and that uh, we have done a lot of hard work to build up relationships uh, in the region but also in many other countries uh, around Europe so we we don't do huge sales to some of the other countries but we have uh, we have established connections and really in this situation we need to wait it's like the catch-22 like do you get the big order or do you have the supplies? But you have to be able to promise a, uh, a high quality product in like uh, truckloads to be able to get those tenders. And so uh, we've had long discussions with our, you know, distributors and uh, fans all over Europe. And so that's what we've done. Like the last few years have been like proving like, can we make this beer? Can we do this? What do we need to do? Can we put it all in place? And uh, how do we set ourselves up, up, up for uh, rapid growth? So I think that we've shown over the years that we've had like very strong uh, sales growth. We've always been profitable, even though like uh, it's very difficult to do that in a small small company. Um, so uh, yeah, um, we think that on on the low end, what we've seen like if we go back uh, previous year, like a uh, low uh, low double digit um, EBITDA percent is uh, is reasonable, and so we we see that this is can be quite healthy returns. So that's that's why we're doing it. We're we have our we have our money in it. We have our like uh, personal guarantees on the bank loan. So we believe in it, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a tall building at the moment, and the elevator is still going. Uh, my last question is: mm-hmm. uh, What will you plan to do with uh, money? So yeah, um, we basically we need we need the money to make sure that we have enough uh, capital to operate the business uh, in the best way possible. So small small companies like uh, cash is king, and like that's it's like oxygen. And if you don't have enough, then you just have to start making uh, sacrifices as far as like what opportunities you can take. And uh, that's uh, it's really important to make sure that we can. Uh, Attract, uh, keep and retain the people that we have, attract new talent to be able to uh, keep the quality absolutely uh, top notch. And that uh, what we're doing is we're going from like very basic uh, production equipment to really world class equipment. So this uh, the brew house that we that we've ordered is it's really like uh, top of the line. Uh, they've been making brew houses for for 300 years. These uh, family owned business, they know everything is when it comes to this size of brew house, they're like uh, they are the, the the perfect one to take for this for this size, so um, yeah, it's it's to make sure that we have uh, everything in place to secure that we have strong growth. Mm-hmm. So we we always wish our um, visitors something mm-hmm. uh, that has to do with their business. So with Tanker, what what do we have to wish to like well, mi- millions and millions of liters of beer? This time it's uh, really easy. Uh, we just have to put place a sales number, which is. Uh, Comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah, four million mm-hmm. per month. Per month. Okay. Per month. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll check in 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 a couple of years to yeah. see um, how you're doing with that goal. I think this is achievable. Well, Estonian market, you can get uh, the rest of the ninety-eight percent also. So it's uh, something like <laughs> one hundred. We'll start selling selling uh, craft beer to Latvia. One hundred million uh, per year in Estonia, four million per month. It's uh, sixty millions per year, we, meaning that you don't even need to get one hundred percent of the market. It's easy. <laughs> See, th- this is why Tauri is not an entrepreneur. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why? Okay, I'm but, visionary. Uh, yes, yes, he's the, he's the visionary. He, he gives calls mm-hmm. to our guests. Uh, so, uh, if a person is interested uh, more in Tanker, then uh, where can they go and read and get more information? To the uh, the Thunderbeam website, we can also provide some links for your uh, mm-hmm. for your show notes, and then you can see the uh, all the information. To, if they're not on the platform already, it's uh, just a few clicks to to register for an application. It, it mm-hmm. is an investment, so there's like uh, you know know your customer and anti money mm-hmm. laundering things. So mm-hmm. you do the application, and you usually get accepted like within a day or so, uh, assuming mm-hmm. that there's no issues with the background. And then you can see all of the uh, discussions and documents and stuff that's been uh, that's been posted. And also, you can find links to this from our uh, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So your um, fundraising campaign is running until like August something. Something. End of July. End of July. Yeah. End of July. So 31st, 30th, something like that. So uh, those who are interested have a week to uh, look into it. So uh, Ryan, thank you for coming to the show, and uh, to all our listeners, uh, enjoy the hot weather, and uh, we will see you again in a week. Uh, hopefully, if I'm not if too much obsessed with sauna session. <laughs> <laughs> if we haven't melted yet. Yep. Okay. Thanks Ciao. for having me. Investeerimisraadios kuuldud tuleb käsitada kui meelelahutus väärtusega informatsiooni. Me ei jaga investeerimisega maksunu ning kuigi püüame edasi anda võimalikult täpselt teavet, siis igasugune investeerimisrisk jääb investori enda kanda. Ükski investeerimisraadios nimetatud tehinge ei kätke endas soovitust antud vara osta või müüa.